Morning, church. Before we jump into the time and content of the message, I want to take a moment and to, uh, to pause to reflect on what we just heard earlier about this, um, this season of lament that was sort of suddenly thrown on us uh, with tragedies that happened both around the world in Turkey and Syria and also right here in our backyard in East Lansing and how that affects so incredibly many people along with us. It's also an opportunity as followers of Jesus to train ourselves in how we respond, not if but when tragedy strikes. I would love for us as a people to be the kind of people that respond with compassion, that respond with empathy, that respond as we have with lament, God, where are you in the face of such loss, suffering, and tragedy? As we think about the, uh, the shooting that took place on the campus of Michigan State University, we re- we know that we're all processing this in different ways. Uh, Some of us are in a place where we can help and we can serve and we can do something. Others of us are processing in a way that we need help. And so I know that a lot of us either have students on a university campus or just about to send students away. And something like this is terrifying. I also recognize that there are students on a campus, maybe MSU, maybe any campus, And those words that we heard from the psalmist of David, how long am I going to have to wrestle with these thoughts? It becomes a little more real. And so if your thoughts are keeping you up, if you're tossing and turning, if these terrifying thoughts have gotten a hold of you, we want to know that there are others that are standing to help and to serve. And so I'd encourage you to go to encounterchurch.org slash help. There's a list of pre-vetted resources. If you need to talk with somebody, if you need to process some things, make that your next call or text. The events that are happening around the world, I read this morning, Turkey and Syria, the human toll of this is well over 40,000 people, 5.3 million people without homes today because of these earthquakes that have taken place. My wife and I, earlier this week, we sat on the couch, we watched, we watched videos of rescue workers pulling people, pulling survivors out of the wreckage. We watched as this boy, I don't know, six, seven years old, was pulled out from under his dad, covering him like this, creating this kind of like survival bubble over him as he pulls, pulled out alive after days of being buried under a building. We respond with lament. God, where are you in the face? We respond with empathy. We respond with compassion. Church, we can also respond with generosity, and we have. As the church of Jesus Christ, what we do is we step in and we help when we're able to do so. And so through your generosity previously, the church was already in a place where we could send a grant of $5,000 through Convoy of Hope to show up on scene with resources in hand to at least alleviate some of the suffering that is taking place in the name of Jesus. We've also set up an evergreen button on the website, encounterchurch.org slash give. Simply says disaster relief. When disaster strikes, we want to be the people that respond immediately and say, we can do something about that. Let's, let's pray again over these unspeakable tragedies. Jesus, God, We echo those words of David, where are you? How long must we wrestle? How long will it seem like your face is hidden away from us? How long will we wrestle in our hearts night after night with these thoughts that plague us? 
but also echoing those words of David who did not see resolution in that moment, but we rely on trust and faith in God. We trust you and we have faith in you. Give us the courage. Give us the wisdom to rely on you again this week. In your name, amen. Switching gears. Uh, we're in part three of our series right now called How to Live. Uh, it's life lessons from the book of Proverbs. This is, uh, this is a personal uh, series for me. This series was really born out of me and my own devotional time reading through Proverbs, and I wanted to understand it a little bit better, so that's why I teach it to you. <laughs> you don't really understand something until you teach it to others. So this is, thank you for coming along in my personal journey on this one and in my own faith formation. Uh, we've covered already in part one, the words that we use matter. They're in fact a matter of life and death. Your work matters no matter what, there's a way to make your work matter. That was part two last week. Today we talk about the purpose that God has for you and how to understand that purpose, how to understand what God's specific will is for your life. Um, we're going to start this morning, and I just want to ask a question. I invite everybody to raise their hands, Fulton Heights, online, Kenwood, everybody's included in this. How many of you uh, read through those Choose Your Own Adventure books? When you were a kid. Yeah, hands shoot. Awesome, awesome, cool. I love those books, right? I think part of it was that I could only read like five chapters and I could put down on my reading log in school. Like I read the whole book because technically I got to unend, whatever that was. I love it. It felt like I was in control of the story, you know, when it's like, hey, your friend goes off missing and like this book is the story of like finding him. And those books are like, you know, you're wandering through this spooky forest. You come across a dark, scary cave. Do you A, go into the cave? If so, turn to page 56. Or do you B, turn around and go back home? If so, turn to page 31. Honesty time here. How many of you, when you came to something like that, flipped to both page 56 and 31 to see which outcome you, you cheaters. It's a good thing you're in church because y'all need Jesus. No, this is, I did the same thing too, right? Because I want to know when I make a decision, when I have a decision to make, I want to know like what the outcomes are before I make that decision. Uh, somebody told me one time that you, are, that your life is little more than the sum total of the decisions that you make. Your life is the sum total of your decisions. I want to know how to make better decisions, especially when I can't just like flip to both pages and see which one I like better. I need a way to make better decisions. About 10 years ago, my wife and I were ready to buy a house, and we're trying to figure out which house we're going to buy. And there's lots of options available. And we found one that was in the neighborhood that we wanted. It was an awesome house. It was a huge house, and I love that, right? I can like picture our family, the kids, all the stuff that we're going to do. I mean, it was, a, it was a sweet setup. And it just had a couple of problems. The first one is that we talked to the neighbors and it turns out that they had four large dogs and two parrots. That's only problem number one. Like, that takes a toll on a house. And so it needed a ton of work to go into this thing. The second problem with the house is that it was well beyond of our price range. <laughs> that combined with problem number one is like, oh, this is like going to be a huge stress that's going to come along with this decision to make, right? And so, and so we're like, you know... We can do this, right? It was 10 years ago, so I was a younger person with much more energy. And I'm like, we can fix this thing up. It can be the house of our dreams. Like, I love this. And so we do what followers of Jesus do in those moments is we start to pray about it. We start to figure out, God, what do you want us to do as it relates 
to this house? Like what does you know, page 56 or 31 look like? God, show us the way and we're gonna, we're gonna follow through on it, right? I want God, I want to be able to make better decisions. Some of you are making decisions that are way bigger than like which house to buy when you've kind of got the rest of your life sort of like locked in already. Some of you are making decisions on like where you're gonna live, if you're going to go to college, if so, which one? It is absolutely bananas that we let 16, 17-year-old kids make like a $100,000 decision on that. If you're in that category right now, like may God bless you and keep you. It's a, it's a big deal, right? And you don't have like a ton of life experience to go on to. It's such a, it decides not only like what kind of career that you're going to have, what kind of person you're going to become, who you're going to do life with. The person that you marry or spend the rest of your life with could be likely the person that, you know, maybe you meet in those next few years. It's a huge deal. And then you have kids, especially when you talk about like your life is the sum total of the decisions that you make when you have kids, like your decisions are now affecting their life. And like, I got to figure out where I'm going to send this kid, another person to school. And like, you know the decisions that come along with that. It's not just like where you're going to learn how to read and write. It's like who your friends are going to be, the kind of person you become. And it's like, I have to make a decision for them? It's a huge deal. I need to know how to make better decisions. And then somebody comes across, somebody hands you like a little Bible tract or like, or like t- says to you in conversation sometime and they're like, hey, did you know God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life? And you're like, if it's such a wonderful plan, just tell me what it is. I'll do it, you know? But it's hard. It's harder than that. Figure out what my purpose is. Figure out what the will of God is for my life. This morning, I, I, I want to I guide us along in that. To make this easier. To help you make better decisions. And I got two fronts. Um, two true statements. Number one is that God does have a specific plan for you and your life. I believe that. And number two, God wants you to know what it is even more than you want to know what it is. Let me show you what I mean by going to a passage, Proverbs chapter 3, uh, 5 and 6. And we're going to hang out here. We're going to read it through a couple times. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. I love this passage, this promise. And he will make your paths straight. That line about God making your path straight, like the end goal, that sounds so appealing, doesn't it? Like God straighten out these paths for me. Little like Bible fun fact, a straight path for, for people in the Bible, a straight path is a friendly path. Like they lived in a very dangerous time and place. And so when they had to go out on a, on a road and it was like twisting and curvy and windy, I mean, burglars, thieves, worse, could be hanging around just beyond every corner. And so they like saw a straight shot through the desert, no hiding spots. It's like a straight path is a friendly path, especially when it, when it doesn't do one of those like left or right and the, and the, and the path kind of fades one direction or another. And you're like going, I don't know. I don't know which way the path goes. True story. That's how I ended up leading my 10-year-old into a homeless encampment by the Plastic Creek River. I didn't know on our bike ride which way the path goes until it, it's like waist deep grass. And my son is like, is this the way that I'm like, oh yeah, just a little bit further. We got this. And then with all the tents all around and the people, I'm like, yeah, let's turn this thing around and let's get back the way that we came. A straight path 
is a friendly path. And I just want to know what that path specifically is. And the problem oftentimes, I don't think for us as Jesus followers, I don't think it's like once God presents it to us, my reluctance or unwillingness to do this, I don't think that's a problem. I think the problem tends to lie in like figuring out what that path is in the first place. Like I heard somebody say one time, if I knew beyond the shadow of a doubt what God's will is for my life, I would storm the gates of hell with a water pistol. (laughs) I would do it. No fear. But the problem is that I often don't know whether or not this is the will of God in my life or not. So when we're confused about trying to discern some of this stuff, I think it helps to get maybe a little more theological than what we're used to uh, here in the message time, right? So, so I'm going to give you like these three ways of understanding God's will because I think they, they build on one another and once we understand these three ways of building, uh, of understanding God's will, it makes it easier if you, if you hang out to the end. So, so think about what decision that you have, any decision, big or small, that you have to make in your life and then we're going to read it through the lens of these three ways of understanding the will of God in your life. We say sometimes around here the dull pencil, sharp mind thing. Uh, A dull pencil beats a sharp mind in remembering the truths that God tells you. This is one of those things. The first one that I'm going to ask you to hang on to is God's sovereign will. God's sovereign will for you in making these paths straight, his sovereign will is is sometimes called his ultimate will. God's sovereign will is 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 the will that ultimately happens, right? It's very, very easy to see God's sovereign will in the rear view. It's like everything that happened. That was the will of an omnipotent powerful God and omnipresent God in your life. Like this is, this is the rear view. This is the will of God that actually took place. This is the will of God when Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount says, not a hair can fall from your head without the will of my Father in heaven. And for some of us that hits a little more personally than others, but that's fine because he's good and he's God and it's all up to him anyway, right? But this is the rear view. This is God's sovereign and ultimate will. And we can know it when it happens. It was God's will. Sometime you're going to be walking on the streets of a big city and somebody's going to offer to sell you God's sovereign will for $10 on the street. I will read you your fortune for this small fee. In that case, God's sovereign will is probably that you lose $10 and little more than that, right? It's very difficult to see God's sovereign will in the windshield, but it's very easy to see God's sovereign will in the rear view. Does that make sense? You're tracking Now, there is a resource that God has given us where we can start to see and start to pick up story after story after story about God's sovereign will in a way to start to understand God's heart and his decision-making capacity and help us understand what he has in store for us as we turn our attention towards the windshield and look forward. That resource is called the Bible. And I highly recommend reading it sometime because God said, listen, I don't want this to be confusing from you. I actually want you to know what my sovereign will is. And there's some things you don't even need to ask whether or not they're going to happen because I've already promised that they will happen. Like you don't have to ask, God, are you going to send your son again to restore and reclaim everything that was lost? Yes, right? It's in there. And time after time, God breaks into people's lives people that are a lot like us people. Where do I go to college? Should I buy the house or not? Should I date her or not? God breaks into 
people's lives. What's my purpose? What did you put me on this planet to do? He breaks into people's lives. And he starts to give us like this window. It wasn't just about them. It's about history. It's about God. It's about how God interacts with the people that he made. And we see these stories when God interacts with somebody like Moses. And we learn something about God in that process. Right? We learn something about God when God says to Moses, hey, you're going to be the guy that's going to take my people out of slavery in Egypt, and you're going you're to go to the promised land by way of the wilderness. We'll get to that later. Don't worry about it. You're, you're going to be my guy. And Moses says, no, I'm not your guy. And God says, okay, I respect your decision, and I'll leave you alone. Now. No, that's not what he does. We learn something about the heart of God when he goes back to Moses, and he's like, no, 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 you're definitely my guy. We learn something about the persistent heart of God. He won't let you off the hook. He won't let you go. He won't let you miss your purpose. We learn something about the heart of God and the kinds of people that he picks when he goes to David, youngest of a whole bunch of kids, forgotten about when it came time to pick the next king over Israel. And God goes to him and says, no, 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 you are the next king of Israel. We learn something about the kinds of people that God picks. We learn something about his heart that helps us understand, helps us discern the sovereign will of God as we apply it to not just the future, but our futures. We learn something about the heart of God when when he picks somebody like Paul and says, dude, we got a lot of work to do. We have a lot of persecution to undo. We learn something about the kinds of people that God picks that nobody is beyond the redemptive power of God. Nobody is anybody that we can write off as being lost. Because if Paul could be saved, then anybody could be saved. Anybody has this purpose, right? We learn something about the heart of God as it relates to this sovereign will. And so it makes it easier. Quote, the more we're familiar with what God is up to and his plans, the easier it is to identify his will for our lives. The more familiar we are with how God breaks into not just history, but, but human history. In fact, our history. The easier it is to start to understand the heart of God and, and, and what he has for us in the future. It's a little bit like when a number pops up on my phone that I don't recognize my wife could be calling from any number on the planet and I will know immediately who is on the other end by just the way she says hello. Because I've invested into that relationship, I recognize her voice. Once you start to read the stories, understand the stories, you spend the time, you make the investment, you recognize the voice of God in those moments and the easier the decision-making starts to become. But that's not the only will. I've got the sovereign will of God. We've got God's moral will. There are some decisions that we don't have to ask what God's will is because he already spoke conclusively on the issue. Like there's all these commandments in the, in the Bible, in the story of God, where he just says, listen, I mean, you can, but don't, right? Like this is outside of my will. You know, think of Moses, the Ten Commandments, the thou shalt nots. You got a pretty clear indication. By the way, the, all, the opposites are also true. Like, don't lie. The opposite of that is tell the truth, right? It's a huge set of human behavior where it's like, you don't have to sit with others and try to pray and discern what God's will is. He already spoke conclusively on it. When, you're, when your boyfriend says, hey, you know, I've been thinking, and I've been praying, and this whole, like, living apart situation, you know, we, 
We spend a lot of money on our separate places, and we could save money. And, and you know, it's a stewardship issue at this point. And, and also the gas, driving back and forth between the places. I mean, God cares about the creation, doesn't he? You know, and he wants us to take care of the environment. So we could save the planet and a lot of money if, if we maybe just move in together, which is a kind of a euphemism for sleeping together, which is a euphemism for another. Right? But, like, you put all this stuff together, and you don't need to ask God. You know, you'd never... You'd never buy a pair of shoes without trying it on first. Marriage is like a, relationships are like a pair of shoes, but it doesn't matter. You don't have to ask God what his will is in the situation. God says, flee from that particular kind of immorality. When you're applying for the job that you really want, you're like, God, I think you really want me to have this job. The problem is I don't really have the experience that is required for this sort of job, but like Congress lies about their jobs all the time. So maybe I can use that. And that seems to work out fine. I can just kind of write down whatever. Listen, that one's covered in the Big Ten. Like, number nine, don't bear false testimony. Don't lie. Like, huge amount of behavior is covered. Human behavior, human choices are covered by God's moral will. Quote, a lot of our decisions are easy when we see them through the lens of the commandments, not just the top 10, but all commandments throughout the Bible that I don't even, there's some things that I don't even need to ask about. So the God's sovereign will, God's moral will, and the third one is God's personal will. This is the one that if you're like still paying attention to the message, you've probably got a question. What's his will about this? Should I stay in the corporate gig or should I strike out on my own? Should I buy this truck? Should I buy that car? Should I ask her out? Should we have kids? If so, how many? Is one of us going to stay home? Big decisions. I don't know how much of this is related to God's moral will. And God never broke into somebody's life and told them which truck to buy. How do I figure something like that out? The more familiar you are With the sovereign will of God, the more obedient you are with God's moral will, the easier it'll be to discover God's personal will. It's uh, like a plumb line, you know, like uh, like a weight on the bottom and a a rope. Should have brought one. Doesn't matter. Uh, You can imagine a string, a straight piece of string. You're building a house, you're building a business, you're building a warehouse, whatever, doesn't matter how big it is, you still have a physical line draping down a plumb line that just kind of guides the construction of a building. God provides his stories in about a million words that provides a plumb line on one side, the sovereign will. Another plumb line on the other side of his mortal will. And when we're building a building or we're building a life, When we build it according to these two plumb lines, he guides us up into the life that he desires for us. The more familiar you are with God's sovereign will, the more obedient you are with God's moral will, the easier it'll be to discover God's personal will. And I've been around the block to know and to have seen this again and again and again and again. That house that I mentioned earlier, you know, God, oh, I know it's really going to stretch, but like, oh, so cool. It has a butler's pantry. Like, what even is that? Who builds those anymore? So we're praying about it. What do you want? God, just direct our steps. We're going to say yes. It's a weird thing, right? The more we prayed about it, and this isn't like 
with that, you can buy that house, or I should have bought that. This isn't, this isn't about you. This is just about me. Just give me, just give me that one. The more we prayed about it, the more we realized it was really an us-centered thing. It wasn't a God-centered decision. And God never specifically spoke or broke into anybody's life in the scriptures about whether or not to buy a big house that needs a lot of work with a butler's pantry. But he did say something about making decisions that are me-based decisions instead of him-based decisions. And like, even though God didn't specifically say this in his sovereign will or really even in his moral will, in his personal will for our lives, we both kind of independently came to the conclusion, I don't think this is the one. And sometimes you look back and you never really know what would have happened if you went to page 57 and bought the house. And I still, I honestly, I don't know because we didn't buy the house, but I, I know that we saved a ton of money. And I know that about six months after that decision was done, my wife was accepted to a graduate school program across the state at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, which is a commute. I like to remind her that you could see from space. <laughs> and I'm looking back and I'm going, we did not have the energy. We did not have the money. We did not have the bandwidth to make that happen. The stress that it would have put on our family, on our relationship, on our marriage. I don't think that would have honored God. And I'm looking back, it's just one example of the more familiar that we got with God's sovereign will in Scripture throughout life, the more obedient we became with God's moral will and saying yes and getting used to saying yes to God no matter what, the easier it became to discern and to follow through on God's personal will for our lives. The passage one more time. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. You may have learned it acknowledged. How was the 1980s version in 50 years? Like words, 40 years of words have, uh, have changed slightly in meaning. The, the translators decided submit is just way too light, or sorry, acknowledge is way too light of a word. They're like, we need submit. We don't need just like acknowledge, got it, and move on and do my own thing. We need submit. We need consumed, captivated, riveted. I'm obsessed with God's ways. And he will make your paths straight. With all your heart and all your ways. All my heart and all my ways. And then the clear, easy path of God starts to take shape. All my heart, all my ways. See, it gets to the place of saying yes to God even before we know what the question is. Because right? we've got to get to the place of saying yes to God, all my heart, all my ways. Even when it's not about the decision that you have to make, which house to buy, which college to go to, all my heart, all my ways. And he will make your paths straight. There's still like this question of like, God, why the cat and mouse game, right? Why don't you just, why don't you just booming voice from heaven, tell me what I'm supposed to do. I would do that for my kids when I know what they're supposed to do. I just tell them. And God says, I don't want just your decision. I want all your heart and all your ways. 
and you've had a decision to make. And isn't it true when you have a big decision, when I have a big decision, I pray a lot more than when I don't have a decision to make. It's possible that God is more interested in you discovering him than in his will. God doesn't just want your decision. He wants all your heart and all your ways, and he will make your path straight. I think back on the Choose Your Own Adventure books. And now, flipping through as an adult, I realized a couple of things. Uh, those books, no matter whether you went to page 56, into the cave, eventually you'd like find your friend all tied up and the story, you know, uncovers. Or you'd go to page 31, you'd go back home and you'd fall through the forest floor down a series of tunnels a few more pages in and you'd find your friend all tied up in the cave. Like, it's almost like whatever you did, there was somebody making your paths straight. I would like you to know very much that we serve a great, big God. This shouldn't be an anxious thing. He loves you. He loves you to death and back again to new life. And a God like that wouldn't let you thwart him. And as we're saying yes to God, even before we know what the question is, we want to highlight the work of a family right here in our community that has said yes, a big, a tremendous yes to Jesus. And the story where it's going to take them is all the way around the world. So Satya and Prasha, the Maharjans, I would love for you guys to come forward onto stage and I want to invite you to share a little bit of your story. Satya and Prasha have three kids as well, right here in the front row, that are supporting them from a distance. And I want you simply to invite you to share how you have said yes to Jesus. Uh, first of all, I love this story so much, and I just want everybody to hear it. How did you, Satya, how did you guys come to find Encounter? And maybe what were some of your first impressions? Good morning. Uh, we were looking for a church back then, uh, 2015. And so we were driving, and Encounter is pretty close to our uh, house, so just a few blocks away from here. And uh, uh, so we just checked in here one morning, and we got the back seat. And you can see that we are not that tall people. <laughs> And people in front of us uh, were tall like giants for us. And, and so we had a really hard time just uh, looking at the screen. And so we had to find the pockets of uh, space between people to look at the lyrics on the screen. And towards the end of service, I already hurt my neck. And so I had so many reasons not to come back to this <laughs> church. And I was grumbling because of that hurt. Uh, but there are two things that really drew us to encounter. Um, people were very warm. Uh, we, we, we felt very welcomed. Uh, first thing, and second, like, uh, our children really enjoyed their first experience here. That's good. Thank you. Um, your, uh, your vision uh, for starting 
a brand new church in Nepal. Tell us a little bit about what you have in store. Um, We uh, have a vision to plant a church, a vibrant community of believers uh, in Nepal uh, where people can uh, experience love and grace of Jesus Christ. Uh, we really are focusing on a people group, um, so those whose backs are against the wall, uh, and one of them uh, is uh, lower caste people. I don't know, I just assume that many of you uh, have heard about lower caste, casteism in Nepal and India. And so these people, the so-called lower caste, are deemed as untouchables. And so historically, uh, they've been, they, they use the word, pejorative word, like untouchables. Uh, for those Dalits, and so these are on the lower uh, strata in their caste system. Uh, these people and the higher caste people have for some reason inflicted uh, violence and, uh, on them and also they face discrimination on, in their everyday life. And so um, when you and I take gospel to these people uh, whose uh, dignity have been stripped, uh, whose uh, the people don't even uh, treat them as uh, human beings, and so you and I take the gospel to them and tell them, look into their soul, and then tell them that uh, he or she is valued, he or she is uh, respected, and God loves that person equally as he has loved me as a higher caste person. That changes everything. Uh, that brings, speaks to their broken, that their crushed soul, and uh, they feel that love and grace of Christ. Uh, so it's very liberating for them to hear that um, they are also made in the image of God. They are the equal image bearer. So that's why we are going to Nepal um, after 16 years uh, here living in Grand Rapids uh, to plant a brand new church. Satya, that picture of God speaking into his own image bearers and saying, you matter and I love you to death and again to new life. It's, it's a powerful picture of what the gospel has for all people across the globe. Um, your family is accepting the vision of God, the will, the purpose of God to start a new church. And you've shared with me in the past about on your own, the name of the church that you have come to with no pressure from anybody else. Yeah, uh, we have uh, decided to name it Encounter Nepal, uh, not because Dirk or anyone pressured us. <laughs> Uh, we like the vision of Encounter here. Um, so that's why we are taking Encounter globally uh, and to bring people back to God uh, who have stood far away from him. And uh, second, uh, this word has such a negative connotation in Nepal, so we need to redeem this word. This Encounter, is, uh, the word has a closely associated with violence, uh, but no, this Encounter is about meeting God uh, at where you are, and uh, have this dramatic change in your life. Uh, this is, on contrary to violence, it is about peace, mm. uh, meeting that peace, having that peace uh, that is not contingent upon our own circumstances. So that's why we chose the name Encounter. What we have in mind is a sister church relationship between our churches where we can mutually support, uh, care for, provide resource, provide learning, and visiting when able. I love that both of us, our churches, are submitting to the will of God. As king over our church, Jesus sits on his throne. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Uh, Your whole family is on mission together. Uh, Prasha, 
What, do you, what does God have in store for your work in Nepal? Yeah, I think, if, you know, our kids have never lived in Nepal. We too are from there, but our kids were born here. So I think uh, just helping them adjust um, to Nepal. And then, of course, the first, um, a lot of our uh, first few years would, would be getting heavily involved in getting encounter Nepal church going. And um, a lot of outreach, um, hospitality um, in that role. I think I'll, I'll be doing a lot of that. And providing informal counseling also. So I'm getting formal training right now to uh, be a clinical mental health counseling. So um, to just initially learn how counseling is done in the setting of Nepal in networking with organizations there and start some sort of counseling ministry now within the church setting and also um, the wider community. So beautiful. Uh, church, Satya has just recently uh, gone to Nepal and come back on kind of a reconnaissance mission. Uh, you're heading back out to do another one of those to lay the foundation, to lay some of this framework. Uh, and it looks like maybe this summer, early midsummer, your whole family is getting ready uh, to move to Nepal. So when you see Satya back next week, it's not like he's getting on an airplane like today, uh, but very soon for you and, and Prasha and the family eventually. And so we wanted to take a, a minute uh, to prepare ourselves so when they do finally go, uh, they go with our love and with our full support. How can we connect, support, uh, learn from, and love you guys from a distance? Uh, we have a Facebook page uh, called Encounter Nepal. Uh, right now it's a closed group. Um, so we uh, have also put um, a QR code uh, at the desk over there in the lobby. So you may uh, scan that or just search on Facebook. Uh, so uh, that way we can connect with each other and share prayers and concerns and also keep you updated about what's going on in Nepal. Scan the QR code right now, guys. Yeah, I see phones going up. That's encouraged. You're going to want to follow along. The powerful stories that you've shared with me that we're going to continue sharing. Head back into the lobby afterwards. Just connect and see what God is up to all the way around the world because all the way around the world from where you're going is going to be what God is up to over here. And I just get so excited about living on mission together. At Kentwood, Satya, Prasha, and family are going to be hanging out at the desk afterwards. You can ask questions. You can follow them on Facebook and other means. Definitely do that. Fulton Heights, looking at you, crew. They're heading your way next week with a table. They would love to connect with you in person. We are one church with many locations globally <laughs> coming up soon. And it's just so cool to serve such a big God. Uh, we want to send you out with God's support, with God's blessing as church planters in our community to create this sister church. And we're going to do that by inviting family and friends to come on forward. Uh, we have, I think, our staff, our lead team members who are in attendance. Yeah, absolutely. Come on forward. Um, we don't have a real, like, list of people. We're not going to check IDs on your way up. But just if you love these people, if you've gotten to know them over the last decade or so that they've been worshiping with us. I'm going to have you guys actually just come right forward here in front. And let's surround them. Come on in the back here. Absolutely. Let's surround them as they come forward. And if you could put a hand uh, towards them, if you're in back there, 
kind of a hand in their general direction. And church everywhere, I invite you to extend your hand out as your blessing, as your support. Uh, Folds and Highs, Church Online, wherever you might be, extend a hand out to extend God's very blessing on this incredible family. Uh, Jesus, we send out Satya and Prasha. We send out the Maharjan family to Nepal, to be your hands and feet there, to share your amazing news of love to every person. God, no matter where they might fall on this caste system, to speak into their hearts and say, you matter, you are loved by the almighty, infinite creator of the universe. It's a powerful message, God, that your people need to hear. And so I thank you for Satya, for Prasha, for the Maharjan family. I thank you for their obedience to say yes even though they have a million other questions that they need answered yet, that they have said, yes, Jesus. And if you've called them to it, you will get them through it. Satya and Prasha, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Let's celebrate the work of Jesus all around the world. Amen. Amen. This incredible family has said yes to Jesus. And now it's our turn to stand up and to respond. Because he's not just calling one family to be his hands and feet. He's calling every single one of us. They're going to Nepal soon. You've got a job site, a classroom, an office to go to tomorrow, a home to go to where people need to hear about the love of Jesus. And we have a lot of work to do. Let's say yes to Jesus on your feet as we declare we too are available. Hey church, it's our sincere prayer that this message was able to help you find new life in Christ. And if you did find it helpful, would you consider donating to help drive this ministry forward? And don't forget, there's no substitute for doing life together. So find a worship experience, join a small group or a serving team today. You can do all this at EncounterChurch.org.